Welcome to The Blind Side. News and information from a blindness perspective. Here's Jonathan Mosin. Lovely to be back with you for another week. Winter's supposed to be setting in here in Wellington, the coolest little capital here in New Zealand. But the sun's streaming through the studio window and it's quite nice out there. Long may it last. I doubt it will last much longer. Not a cynic or a a pessimist, just a realist, I think. Thank you so much for all of the positive feedback that we received after last week's WWDC special. It seems like we helped uh, a number of people to make sense of what's going on in Apple land, so we're grateful for that feedback. A number of us are now running iOS 11 Beta 1, the Brave or the Foolhardy or something. I certainly haven't put it on my primary iPhone, but I am running it on one device as we get to work on iOS 11 without the eye, which will be coming out in September when Apple is scheduled to release iOS 11 officially. And I must say, we did mention very briefly in the WWDC special last week that there was a little thing on one of their slides that talked about improved Braille. i got to tell you, it's significantly improved. For the last five years, I've been writing a blog post about my top 10 wish list, and Braille has figured in that wish list every single year. Well, I don't know if I'll be able to take Braille completely off the wish list. I guess time will tell. But wow, most of what I've been asking for has been delivered by Apple in one major revamp of their Braille support. Absolutely exciting stuff, and we look forward to it becoming more stable over the beta cycle, but it really is going to be wonderful. So more on that a little bit later. There is another Mosin Consulting book coming before iOS 11 without the eye. It is an audio book about a very exciting platform that I think will make a big difference in our community as more and more people adopt it. And I hope to be in a position to tell you more about that quite soon. So stay tuned to the podcast. And of course, you can go to the Mosin Consulting website at mosin.org and subscribe to our announcements list. You can also follow Mosin Consulting. That's all joined together on Twitter and get information there about the new audio book that is scheduled for release. Well, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. But Let me tell you what's coming up on the podcast today. Unfortunately, more airline discrimination to tell you about. Where will it end? Well, hopefully it will end when we keep exposing this airline behavior that goes on in multiple airlines and letting everyone know that it's not acceptable. We'll be talking with Clifton Miller, who simply turned up to the airport with his granddaughter to take her on a plane and had his competency as a blind grandparent called into question. It's a hideous situation, although it is good to see that the airline concerned Frontier, in this case, did fess up and apologise quite quickly. It doesn't change the indignity he was subjected to, and I'll talk to Clifton about that. I'll also talk to him while he's on the line about a really great email list that he runs for those who would like help with their Apple devices. And while we're talking about discrimination on airlines and help with devices, it's worth reflecting on the fact that many people around the world who are blind do not have access to all of these things and have much more fundamental issues to be concerned with. I'm going to be talking with Paul Mugambi, who is originally from Kenya. He's studying in Australia at the moment on a scholarship, but he's been a pivotal player in the disability rights movement in Kenya. And we'll talk about the struggles that blind people in Kenya are facing, some of the progress that they have made to date, and some of the priorities 
for progress that needs to be made in the near future. We'd also hear one of Paul's songs because he's also a very gifted musician. That's what's coming up on this week's edition of The Blind Side. Hope you'll stay with us. We had no Akapa at the Mosins, our live global call-in show on Mushroom FM last week where we discuss blindness topics, and that's because I decided that we would take the week off to watch the UK election results. And boy, I'm glad I did, because what a day that was. A long night, I'm sure, for people based in the UK. It was good for us because it was in the middle of the day here. We had Dave Williams talking about that a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, and he, like most of the conventional wisdom, was suggesting that the Tories, the Conservatives, would romp home with an increased majority that it would probably go into three figures. And that was the gamble that Theresa May was taking. She was hoping to secure a larger majority and put herself in a good position for Brexit negotiations. Instead, she finds herself in a very difficult position with her majority slashed, not just slashed, but her majority's gone. I mean, she is running a minority government. As we record this podcast, she's trying to put together a coalition or an arrangement, really, an arrangement with the DUP, and it's all looking a little bit fragile, and I would not blame her for feeling a bit sorry for herself. Uh, I certainly don't blame Dave Williams for the inaccurate prediction because a few people was one YouGov poll that was predicting a hung parliament, but everybody thought the methodology was a bit dodgy there. So it was just an extraordinary day and a very interesting time to watch in British politics. So very glad I was able to absorb the whole thing and take the week off the talk show. But we are back for this week and then we're taking a break the week after as well because Bonnie and I are taking a break for our wedding anniversary. But This week on A Cuppa at the Mosins at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Thursday night, that's in the U.S., that equates to 1 o'clock on a Friday afternoon in New Zealand, 11 a.m. in Australia, good time for Australia, we're going to be talking about the question of blindfolding. When is it okay for blindfolding to be used on sighted people? Is it ever okay for blindfolding to be used on sighted people? Does blindfolding a sighted person really give anybody an accurate understanding of what it's like to be a blind person about how we live our lives or does it run the risk of frightening the heck out of people and reinforcing negative stereotypes about the capabilities of blind people because clearly some would say if you blindfold someone and deprive them of such a dominant sense as sight then they are going to struggle for a while until there's been appropriate rehabilitation. Sometimes blindfolding is used in rehabilitation on people with some vision. That is also a contentious matter. Do you think that that is appropriate? So when is it okay to blindfold, if ever? Let us know your thoughts on our live call-in show on Mushroom FM. You can find out more information. There are phone numbers around the world. You can call with your web browser. All of the details about that show are at mushroomfm.com slash Kappa. That's mushroomfm.com slash C-U-P-P-A. Our place, our issues. The Blind Side with Jonathan Mosen. I've always thought it must be great being a grandparent because you can spoil them rotten and then when they start to get a little bit grumpy, grouchy, sleepy at the end of the day, you hand them back to mum and dad and you go off and do your thing. I'm not at that point yet. I'm not a grandparent yet, but Clifton Miller is a grandparent and he's got a lovely 18-month-old 
granddaughter who was staying with him and he headed off to the airport to board a plane with his little granddaughter to take her back to mum. You never know when discrimination is going to strike and unfortunately it struck out of the blue for Clifton Miller that day when he was with his little granddaughter. Clifton joins me now. Clifton, you were travelling with Frontier in this case. What happened when you got to the airport and you sought to check in? Well, I, I booked the ticket online, put blind passenger, meet and assist, and it also listed my granddaughter as a passenger. When we got to the ticket counter, they printed out my boarding pass, made sure everything was taken care of, that I had, you know, my bag was ready to go, that she was listed so she could board with me. And I asked for sighted help to get to the terminal so I could board the plane. Well, that's when the trouble started because the ticket supervisor, I guess, questioned and said, well, if you need help to the ticket or to the plane terminal, then how are you going to tend to your granddaughter on board the plane? And I explained to him that I did not need help aboard the plane. I just needed help getting on the plane into my seat. So the um, young lady who printed out my boarding pass decided to call corporate and corporates told them, and I quote, if there is an emergency, a blind person with a child will be an extra liability. I pointed out to them that I'd flown Frontier with my granddaughter before back in November, and they even looked it up and still denied me access to get on that flight that day. There is, and I've learned this from the podcasts we've done before on this subject, there is a complaints resolution official that each airline is supposed to have or that each airport is supposed to have. Did you know about that process and did you try to activate it? No, I didn't know about that process, but with my wife calling around and making some calls and me calling my division for the blind in my area, I got a hold of the Department of Transportation in Washington, D.C., and they sent me a link to my email and asked me to fill out a complaint and asked me to notify them once that complaint was filled out so they could flag it and send it direct to directly to Frontier, which they did. And Frontier's corporate office called me back the next day and apologized. But like I said in the interview, I, I, I've done a couple TV interviews too. But like I said in the interview, it still stings because it should have never happened in the first place. But they did apologize and they did offer me a $500 credit flying vouchers for the future. And you accepted that offer and the apology? Yeah, I mean, the lady, I mean, I accepted it, but like I said, it still wasn't, uh, I don't know, as you know, as being, you know, as well as I do, as being blind, and when somebody tells you you don't do something that you normally can't do, this thing kind of never goes away. And it interfered, I guess, with what would it, what was supposed to be a really happy occasion for you. You flying with your granddaughter, and uh, you, you're, you've been a parent now. You're a grandparent, and somebody's questioning your competency, and it really can hurt and and, and deal with your self esteem in a bad way. Yes, very. I mean, especially with especially when I've been a, a stay at home parent for four kids under five years old before. You know, I stayed at home and tended to the kids. While my wife worked, I mean, nobody wants to work just to pay for daycare. So. so when they denied you the right to board, how did they suggest that you transport your granddaughter? I mean, did they offer any kind of alternative? No, what they suggested is that I could fly, but she could not fly with me. What were you that supposed was, to do, abandon her at the airport? <laughs> I, I mean, I suppose so. I mean, my wife was there, so she could have took her with, but... The, the bottom line is the flight was booked for me to take her home. I mean, I wasn't going on a extended vacation or anything. I wasn't going out to 
Vegas to gamble or anything. The, the main point of the trip was to take her back to her mother, who was my oldest daughter. Extraordinary. You know, the, a very similar thing happened to me quite a few years ago now, about 20 years ago. But in my case, I was on an airplane and it was a male flight attendant who came up to me and said, because I was blind, I couldn't sit next to my one or two year old daughter and that I would have to allow her to be seated next to a sighted passenger in case of an emergency. And it was a small aircraft. And so the whole aircraft was hushed into silence hearing this dialogue between me and this flight attendant. And I was saying there is no way that any random stranger is going to sit next to my daughter and that if there were an emergency. So you're, you're, because you're blind, he expects your daughter to sit next to a stranger who she does not know instead of next to her father who she does know and can tend to her needs better, blind or not. Yes, it's preposterous, isn't it? I mean, it absolutely is. And I said, you know, if there were an emergency, who do you think would be more concerned about her safety? Me or some random stranger who'd be concerned about themselves? You know, it, it didn't compute. What was interesting was that after I gave my little spiel and said, I was not getting off the plane and I certainly wasn't surrendering my daughter to somebody I didn't know. The whole plane applauded, all the passengers applauded, and a female flight attendant came along and said, you're way out of line, back off, leave him alone, to the male flight attendant. And he sort of withdrew, chastised, and the plane took off. But it gets your heart racing, doesn't it? You know, it, it, it makes you feel uncomfortable. It makes you feel humiliated, violated. And it shouldn't be happening in 2017. No, it shouldn't. And it's really unfortunate because we work all our lives twice as hard as decided, might I add, to do what we want to do independently. And then somebody comes along and tries to shut down all that work that we've done on our own to try to make sure that we don't have to depend on others to do. So um, I did, like I was telling you, I did two TV interviews and um, I'll send you the links to those. But if anybody else wants to watch them, they're up on my YouTube channel, which is Miller Crew Family. And that's M-I-L-L-E-R-K-R-U-E. Um, and the full interviews are there um, with ABC Action TV here in Tampa and Fox 13 Television Network. They both came out on the same day, actually one after the other, because they saw the newspaper article and they wanted to, they were wondering why when we called the um, news stations the same day, why their editors did not get a hold of them, because that's a story that they would have wanted right off the, you know, right when it happened. I mean, it still got out there, but they would want to have wanted it the day that it happened, not, you know, a week later. So playing devil's advocate though, some people might say, well, mistakes do happen. They got it wrong in this case, but they were prompt to acknowledge their mistake and apologize. And they tried to make amends with their voucher and the apology why go to the media then when they were so quick to sort the issue out well technically i didn't go to them well my wife went to the media before we got the apology and before they knocked on our door but the reason i let them run the story is because like you 20 years ago like me last week i want to make sure this doesn't happen to other people after me you know, that are blind or even in a wheelchair, for that matter, that want to board a plane. And the point that my wife made to the ticket agent is if he was a woman that just had a baby six weeks ago and was trying to fly out to see her family and she was blind, would you deny her access? And the lady just stood there with her mouth open and didn't have an answer. 
Mm. What kind of reaction have you received from other blind people, the community? Have you heard from people who've had similar incidents happen to them? I've heard from you. I've heard from two others that had had similar incidents, but there was another guy on another list that I won't mention here because I don't want to get anybody in trouble. But it's he he was basically saying that you got to go to the other side and look in and maybe they had a bad experience with the previous blind person that couldn't take care of a, of, of a child or themselves for that matter. And they were just trying to protect themselves, but procedures and policies are in place for a reason. And if there's no procedure and policy that specifically states that a blind person with a baby cannot fly with a child, then I should have been able to ac- access that plane that day for the ticket that I paid for. Yeah, I mean, this is a clear violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act. It's a violation of the Air Carriers Access Act. I mean, there are laws being broken all over the place, not to mention your dignity and and wrongly questioning your competency as a parent in a way that someone without a disability would not have their competency questioned as a blind parent. It never ceases to amaze me, you know, when these cases of discrimination come up. There are blind people out there who seem all too willing to blame the victim. Yes, they are. And to me, I think all actions have consequences. And the consequence here, like, I mean, they apologized. They offered me that $500 voucher of credit. And their corporate office said it was, uh, I forgot what he, how exactly he worded it. He basically said that their employees are trained to treat uh, passengers blind or not better than they did. So hopefully this changes in the future. And I am in still contact with the lady from the corporate office. Because I want, she told me that this policies and procedures will be implemented into their um, employee manual and make sure everybody has it. But I want to make sure it happens. I told her I want a copy of it when it's finished. Yeah, because isn't that a bit of a cop out on the corporate officer's part? Because based on the story you related, as I understand it, the boarding agent person actually phoned up the corporate officer, didn't she, to get advice on this. And it was the corporate office that advised her not to let you board. Yes, and it, and the person that I've been in contact with, it actually came directly from her office. And, I mean, she apologized for almost a half an hour because she said she couldn't believe that they treated, you know, one of their customers like that. But, I mean, all in all, some, somewhere somebody dropped the ball. So uh, it shouldn't have happened, especially when they looked up the fact that I've flown with the exact same granddaughter before on their airline. Would you fly them again? If they had reasonable prices, I maybe would consider it. But if there was somebody else that had competitive prices, I would go with the other airline first. Trouble is, there are so many stories of uh, discrimination and dodgy behavior, no matter what airline you choose, really, it seems. Is there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like the doctor about, a, what was that, about a month or six weeks ago that got forcibly removed because they overbooked the flight? Yes. Yes, well, and 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 also there was uh, there was Sue Martin's story, and if you if you go through the uh, archives of the Blindside podcast, I think you'll find Sue Martin's story uh, on her American Airlines flight absolutely horrifying, and the way that she was treated with her seeing eye dog. So there's a lot of it about. On a completely different matter, while we have you there, I know that you have been involved in building a, a kind of a community around Apple users who are seeking information to make sense of it all. And of course, recently we've talked about the WWDC keynote and what's coming there. Tell me a little bit about Peel the Apple for those who don't know about what it is and how it can help them. 
Appeal to the Apple is an email support group completely free. Um, and I think we spell Peel a little different. I think we spell it P-E-L-T-H-E-A-P-P-L-E. But it's on the groups.io server. And basically what it is is it's a place for people that are new, old, <laughs> familiar, whatever, with Apple products. You know, anything from the Apple Watch, iPhone, Apple TV, Mac, you know, whatever. If Apple makes it, we cover it. But basically we are there to give support to people who don't want to thumb through a bunch of archives of written material or who want to pay for training or like that. I mean, we just, it's basically a uh, basic question and answer support group. You ask it and somebody on the group will answer it. Um, it's not one of those groups where we get mad at you for somebody new coming in asking a, a repeated question. If you, you're new, we understand. And, you know, we may go back and look up the answer and send it to you, or we might just type the answer ourselves. I mean, we also have a blog connected to it, you know, peeltheapple.wordpress.com, where we um, put up a few tutorials to get you started if you don't get an answer right away or you want to, you know, jump right in. So, I mean, it's a very helpful community that's been around for about three years now. And there are similar lists around the place, several lists covering this. I guess that what makes yours, what you, what you seek to do in making yours stand apart is the kind of culture that you foster. Would that be a fair statement? Yes. I mean, it, it, we, I mean, everybody has, a, there's a, like you said, there are a lot of groups, but they all have, I guess you could say they have different flavors, if you will. Some have them where they just want advanced users. Some have them where it's more of a chatty group where they ask questions and then get off into other things. But, you know, our group, we kind of stick on topic and we actually have, actually have a subgroup that's called off topic um, that if you want to talk about anything, whether it's Windows, Android or anything else, you can ask that question over there. But on Peel the Apple, we sp- specifically talk about Apple products, like you mentioned, the WWDC upcoming software, you know, things that are accessible, not accessible and things that people have tried that may interest other people with apps that they may think that are not accessible. I mean, then we cover it all over there. Do you have a good mixture of people? Because obviously if you've got people who are new and asking a lot of questions, that's great, but you also have to have people on board who have the answers to those questions. So you, you've got a few seasoned users on board who are willing to help? Oh, yeah. We got people that are knowledgeable, um, different parts of the world. I, mean, I know you're over in New Zealand. We got a few people that are in uh, – Romania, and we got some people that are from the UK. I mean, they, they come from all different flavors. So we got people all over the world, old, new, seasoned, people that are mediocre users, some experts, if you will, for lack of a better term. So we, I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm the moderator of the group along with this other person that is going to college. So he's not on very often, but I don't have to do very much except make sure that everybody is staying on topic and, you know, not, you know, bashing each other, which they don't do on this group. Everybody is pretty understanding coming in, knowing that they can ask anything and not be uh, criticized for it. Yeah, it's a thankless task moderating those lists, I tell you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. It can get a bit of messy sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So how do you get on this list if uh, if people are interested in being a part of it? If you want to get on this list, you send a blank email to Peel the Apple. Actually, it's, it has dashes in it. So it's peel-the-apple at groups.io. And Peel is spelled P-E-L, and everything else is spelled the normal way. Yeah, groups.io is very good, I think. It's one of my favorite servers for email lists. It's it's highly accessible if you want to make configuration changes, and it's it's fast and pretty reliable. So I think you made a good choice with that with that particular provider. They implemented, each, uh, they implemented both those groups 
features into the group.io and made it accessible. And that was really great because I was looking, I loved Yahoo's features, but it wasn't accessible. I love group, um, Google Group's um, features, but it wasn't accessible. Well, it was doable, but it wasn't accessible. But Group.io, I mean, it's accessible down the, across the board. It just, it's just great. And I, it is my favorite server for, for a listserv for that. Man, I, we, ever since we got there a year ago, we haven't left. So, Good on you. Yeah, I think it's great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm really sorry to hear about what happened to you. It's good in some ways that although they messed up, they were quick to acknowledge their mistake, and not all airlines are that quick to acknowledge a mistake and try and fix things. Uh, So I'm glad that you shared this, and you are a model of what people should do and take a stand. Uh, The principle is important. So thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Next on The Blind Side, we'll talk about the issues facing blind people in Kenya. I'm Bonnie Mosen. Every weeknight at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, it's time to get out the boombox, put on the shoulder pads, and enjoy an hour of music from my favorite decade, the 1980s. I'm the 80s lady, and whether you were into 80s funk, new wave, breakdancing, or romantic ballads, 80s lady has it covered. Sometimes I tell you the stories behind the songs. And my Friday flashback reminds us about major cultural moments that made the 80s special. Join me for 80s Lady weeknights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, exclusive to Mushroom FM. Feel the need to sound off? Share your thoughts about this week's show by email. Send an audio file or write it down and email the blind side at mosin.org. Well, the rights that you and I take for granted didn't happen by accident. They happened because people advocated and agitated and said that what they had wasn't good enough. And as a result, there have been changes over the years that we all benefit from. That process is at various stages around the world. And we're going to talk today about how things are in Kenya and the progress that they've made and the progress that has still to be made. Paul Mugambi is studying in Australia at the moment, but he's been a leader in the disability rights movement in Kenya for some time, and he joins me on the phone. Paul, it's great to have you here. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much. Can we start at the beginning and talk about how you came to be involved in this movement? You had some sight at one point, right? But that uh, you lost that quite suddenly, I think. Thank you very much. Uh, I come from a humble background uh, where there is a lot of poverty and a lot of issues of discrimination and uh, stigmatization within the, our community. Back then, when I was young, I was able to attend to a usual school, but my eyes developed some issues. Then I was taken by the missionaries to a special school. But after landing to high school, uh, high school for the blind, where I some people were fighting, and then I was caught up. And then after that, I was boxed my eyes. And then I became totally blind from that day, which was 27th October. Monday, 1997, which is 20 years ago. 
Mm. Can I talk to you about the cultural repercussions of that? Because in some cultures, it's just the proper thing to do to really take care of someone with a disability. And in many cultures, it sort of goes against the norm that a disabled person might be independent because in certain societies, it's the responsibility of a society to take care of the most vulnerable. Is that a situation that you found that people like to be quite protective of disabled people? Uh, in our, my country, most of the time, persons with abilities, and especially the blind and the, those who are seen to be more like severe disabled, are hidden and they're not likely to be seen in the public. And uh, most of the time, they are either within the, the when visitors come to homes, they are hidden. They're not likely to be seen in the public. So it's a major issue. And also sometimes they are used for ritual purposes. They can be easily uh, harassed and uh, abused by the, the society. Even uh, uh, at a little age, some you might see that you can be stoned while you're walking. People can talk about you. They think that you cannot hear. Such things occur within the society. Mm. And even in countries where disabled people have made a lot of progress over the years, you still get that. I mean, you know, sometimes a blind person can go to a restaurant here and the waiter will say what would he like to eat or yeah so it seems to be a universal thing but yes i i understand what you're saying about some of those cultural elements and you're seeking to change that you and a lot of other people are seeking to advance the cause you were telling me a very interesting story earlier that i think the listeners would be really interested in relating to how disability legislation came about Maybe before I, I get there, I can tell the listeners how I came to really become an advocate for rights of persons with abilities. Mm-hmm. Once I joined, uh, after passing my O-levels and joining university, is when I realized that uh, persons with abilities are taken for granted in terms of uh, access and, and uh, issues of communication, physical environment. And that's when I, and uh, in, in getting involved in terms of different activities. First is uh, when I joined the university, there were no sporting facilities for even to get persons abilities to at least enjoy life just like any other person. And uh, that's let me let me reset what really what really necessitated me to join the rights movement completely. One day in a lecture hall is when uh, we were my first or second week of the university. I was scanning my braille machine. This is one of the mode of communication within the school. And uh, one of the lecturers, due to the, you know, the way the braille machine makes noise, Mm. he said that, stop making noise in class. Then I I was agitated and then I asked him, I stu- I raised my hand and asked the teacher, how do you expect a blind person not to write notes while others are writing? And what was then his answer of, to that? The answer, he was like, 
you should stop making noise you are making others not to hear then since uh, that year we were at least uh, 10 of us in class who are totally blind i just decided that from i just i don't know where voice came in from myself and then i said all the blind let's come out and and uh, ask for a right to the higher office then all of us we went out and then i reported the matter to the vice chancellor and then from that day that's when i realized that oh if you if you can do something something can happen because the lecturer was pre was a pre was called by the university and he was given a little bit of lecture and then he stopped his habit so from that day i decided that i would be fighting for the rights of persons abilities and uh, from that time that's when the university improved at least the physical accessibility of the university and now it has also started issues of uh, access to information a little bit by having a few computers which are having some nvda and uh, an emboza within the, the university which was not there uh back then in 2003 that was uh, when i was even joining the university that time we were i joined the movement well back when I, after the o levels we were agitating for a new act of parliament for persons with abilities it took about more than 10 years for agitation for it to happen this one the legislation was signed by the president on a wheelchair because he got an accident during the campaigns in 2002 mm. so after that is when he realized that rights of persons persons abilities uh, exist so we normally say that we got our act by accident it was not the will of the government yeah It's interesting that these things happen. I think it was in China it was Deng Xiaoping's son had an accident. I believe he actually became quadriplegic if I'm re- remembering correctly. And that resulted in some significant advances in China. So sometimes when politicians have some sort of first-hand exposure to disability, it makes a big difference. So have you found that that legislation has actually made a tangible difference? uh as much as it has not been implemented fully at least we are finding our voice somewhere somehow somewhere and also uh a few issues of persons abilities are being implemented although it has not yet it we are now struggling to ensure that it uh, entrenches the UNCRPD uh, right based model so that uh, we have a better legislation it's currently going on and as it has it has taken more time because you know disability is not a priority to, to politicians currently in the current uh, system so we are hoping that uh, maybe after 2018 it will get an opportunity to be passed in parliament and then we can have a better legislation it's a whole push and pull situation Have you ever thought about running for parliament yourself and trying to make a change from the inside? Uh before I came to Australia I was a uh, person with abilities themselves who are saying that I should do it because they have seen what I've been doing but 
I had to choose between scholarship and uh, going to parliament. So since uh, scholarship comes once in a lifetime and uh, in politics you're not sure of anything, <laughs> so I decided that let me first of all take my uh, get more knowledge and uh, get experience and exposure and then maybe in future in 2022 with god's grace i can be able to join the politi- political world and uh, help to improve the situation yes i mean the parliament will still be there when you get back right and uh, you may well be in a stronger position because of the scholarship to to, to seek office <coughs> sure Mm. And uh, it didn't even become, it, it didn't uh, come so easy because uh, there was a way out because I had become so vocal such that uh, persons uh, persons within the government were seeing me as a threat because I was really bringing issues of uh, persons' abilities to higher offices and uh, there was I was being seen as if I'm a competitor of issues of disability. So... I had to find a way out of ensuring that uh, I really get more strong and strong. What's your view on mainstreaming? Is it usual for blind kids in Kenya to go to a school for the blind, or are they now being mainstreamed, as seems to be commonplace in a lot of Western countries now? Uh, My personal opinion is that I normally tell people that if resources can be available let the child learn within his home environment. But if there are no resources, I prefer that a child goes to a special school because there they can find more resources available to them. Because there is no need of of me as a blind person to learn in my village while I cannot access even a, a mere storybook or even a braille paper. So it it does not make it it makes sense when resources are available. But if there are no resources, let the child be given an opportunity to go where resources are, because that's a major issue for a blind person. And what sort of technology access is available? Before we were recording this interview, you were telling me about how Symbian, which was a very, uh, I guess, cost-effective platform, was making some inroads. And now, of course, Symbian has gone by the wayside and it's not being developed. So how's technology progressing? Uh, first, let me say that uh, one of the things, Braille is the most common used uh, mode of communication among the blind. It's uh, one which you can find among the blind schools, both in primary and secondary, and also universities. And of late, uh, technology has started to be recognized as one of the areas or adaptive technology where we need to move in. And uh, when we talk about phone market, is that we used to have the Nokia whereby they had the mobile speech and the such things, but it's fading away. We are currently having few blind people who are using Android phones and uh, those who are well enabled, uh, the, the least ma- rich majority can have maybe an iPhone here and there, although it is uh, away 
reach from the majority. And uh, some of the challenges which we face in terms of phone technology that one of the, or the touch phones is that, which I think Google, uh, Apple and uh, Android uh, manufacturers need to look into is the language. Most of uh, Kenya, we are not, are not educated. So you might find yourself that even if you have the smartphone or the the usage of the smartphone, not so many can be able to use because of the language, because we use Kiswahili and uh, some of the people don't, are not aware how to use the English itself. Secondly, another angle when I look about technology is uh, usage. Not so many of, of the blind community can be able to afford it. It's still expensive. I, I, I remember myself where before I, I went into, when, when I was able to get a Nokia, I used to use just a normal phone, but be creative in terms of when a person helps me to read the menu, I can be able to, even if it didn't have sound, I can be able to navigate here to call this one and this one. So it's a funny way of adapting to survive. It's becoming a necessity, but it's not being prioritized. Simply because we as a blind community, we have a lot in terms of uh, priorities. It's either I want to go to school, I want to maybe get uh, something done for myself, so there is all that issue of uh, prioritization of issues. And secondly, we don't have uh, techno, uh, technology experts around our country. We don't have a single programmer or even a simple person who can really help us get there. Because we are still fighting for basic rights. So technology cannot really become a major issue as for now. But with the Support from other people. Maybe we can look on how we can work it out. I was New Ze- one of New Zealand's representatives to the World Blind Union uh, some years ago now. And it is a very eye-opening experience because while we are advocating for things that are important to us, you know, somebody was saying to me, you can be complaining about various pieces of software and things that aren't accessible, and that's great. But some of us would do anything just to have a decent supply of white canes and textbooks. Exactly, that's the point. Because uh, I can give an example that uh, last is it last year or two years ago, uh, I, we started an initiative of uh, just basic white cane, having a white cane for blind person or even uh, road usage for white cane. So you can imagine that uh, here in Australia, I'm seeing them advocating for other things which are, they're talking about uh, having a lot of other assistive technology. But for, for me, I'm looking like just a simple white cane or even availability of a braille paper or even uh, availability of a software screen reader to a blind person. So you can imagine the difference. So what would you say are your top priorities then if there were one or two things that are uppermost in your mind to to get fixed or to make some progress on? 
Wow. Uh, one of the things I think I would currently would uh, talk of uh, resources specifically dedicated to issues of uh, technology as one of the major priorities so that information can become accessible to all. Because lack of knowledge really makes people not to be empowered and also not being able to be involved in different activities. Because once you are able to have information, you can be, do anything in this world. You were talking to me earlier about the attitudinal barriers. You were saying that a lot of disabled people are sort of kept out of sight. And so I imagine that for a lot of these changes to come true, you've got to keep trying to change society's expectations about what a disabled person should be and do. Do you feel you're making progress there? Uh, yes, we are making our progress because uh, one of the things which, has really, which is really coming out is that as advocates for rights for persons with abilities, we are coming out in public, engaging the media, and also making music to show that persons with abilities are are able to do this and that. They are also empowered, they are also part of humanity, and they should be given a chance. And uh, trying to raise the voice of persons with abilities through different forums, through the social media, those who can, and also through the local media houses, whereby we engage the community, uh, participating in uh, forums. And uh, we thank God that we have a new constitution which has specific article on issues of disabilities. So we are able really to also push in terms of uh, the article 54 of the Kenyan constitution, which really has a lot in terms of uh, ensuring that the voice of persons with abilities is heard by different stakeholders. So it's also a question of uh, us pushing both the ways in terms of uh, demanding for the rights through the constitution and also using different platforms. Has Kenya ratified the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, and does that play into the narrative at all? Yes, the, Kenya ratified the, Kenyan, the UN Convention in 2007, and uh, this one has helped in a great deal because uh, in terms of uh, constitutional realisation, the UNCRPD really played a critical role because some of the statements or articles in the constitution were borrowed from the UNCRPD and also some of the legislations which are coming up from different uh, angles of parliament are able to include issues of disability. Though I cannot say that it's really fully because uh, what you find that most of the time, the legislations they tend to lean on issues of representation only. Like uh, if an article, if a, a legislation is for environment or even uh, issues of uh, media, they just talk of board representation must have a person with a disability. It ends there. It does not go to the nitty gritty, which can really, which affects the life of an individual with a disability. Because even if you have a representation of one person in a board, 
that one does not mean that uh, maybe that person will access the, the places better or or something of the sort. So it's an issue. It's a the MCRPD is a progress. It's a progressive uh, issue within our country because currently we are we are also having the new bill of persons abilities which has not yet been passed by parliament, which is more better than the version we have currently. I imagine that there's a lot on which people with disabilities can agree on in terms of just advancing some of these essential fundamental rights, but then there'll be some blindness specific issues that you'll be advancing on your own. Is there generally good cooperation across the disability sector in Kenya? Currently, we are also pushing for a new uh, blind legislation. Let me call it a legislation by the blind persons. Because formerly, we used to have a Kenya Society for the Blind, which is is, uh, through an act of, which was established by an act of parliament, but it is not serving our interest as for now. So we are trying to push for a legislation, but it has not yet gotten the limb like to go to parliament yet but it's it's a work on work on progress blind people uh we we have a umbrella organization for the blind over there in kenya plus also other initiatives for blind persons for example we have a society for professionals with visual disability whereby i served as a chair for the last one and a half years and uh, this is by we we have professionals from different uh, areas for blind person blind community, and we come to see what can be done by all of us to push for our own agenda. What are you studying in Australia? What what takes you to Australia? Uh, what took me to Australia? One of the things which took me, which made me to really look for this opportunity. I really wanted to to move outside the the normal box where I'm used to, and uh, I really wanted to have an extra experience in terms of how policies are being developed, plus also gain knowledge and experience in terms of how to deal with issues of disability. So I'm taking a course in public uh, policy so that uh, when I go back, I can be able to help uh, legislate or improve policies or regulation within the national and county governments. Because we are in a new dispensation in our country whereby we have 47 counties and we have the national government. Another reason which really made me to come to Australia is I really wanted exposure because just a mere reading of uh, information on the internet is, does not make a major difference. For example, I can give an example of uh, Victor Stream. Myself, I just read on the internet before I, uh, I saw it because I, co- I could not afford. But once I came here, I was able really to to get one and I'm surprised that it's a small thing which can really do a lot of magic. So I really feel more of a empowered person 
as much as I know that back in my country, there is no availability of such. So it's also a great opportunity for exposure and also sharing the experience. Uh, you also asked me what other way we, uh, we used to advocate for. So we normally have a Skype uh, conference among the blind community in, in Kenya sometimes. We used to call it White Ken Live, whereby we share experiences of different issues. And uh, I've shared the experience of the Victor stream and people are not, they're like, oh, we need to do something about this. So it's also a question of uh, me getting to know even the blind community at large so that even if the, whether they're in Australia or New Zealand, if one is not using his own Victor stream, I would really love them to donate to me and then I can also help my blind community back in Kenya. Yes, that was the question I was going to ask you. If there's a way practically that people can assist blind people in Kenya, what would that be? Uh, it's possible to support persons with abilities. Back in Kenya, I was I used to run an organization called Ability Society of Kenya, which used to collaborate with the Society for Professionals with Vision Disability, and it's a whole set of activities and uh, it will be great to see how we can network and uh, help the blind persons in Kenya. I'll be really be glad to see, especially those who are not using, there are some, there are some technologies which you, you might think that they are obsolete in, in your own world, but for us they are very essential. So I would really make an appeal for those, maybe those who are thinking that they have maybe iPhone 3, iPhone 4, or Victor 3, which they are not using. Let them not throw them away. We have, we can help others to enjoy a little bit of technology. Mm, it's wonderful the way knowledge can spread, right? So if somebody can teach one person, that one person can then go and, and, and spread the word, as it were, and, and then it just keeps keeps growing. All that knowledge expands. Exactly. Yeah. Your music is a big part of your life, and you've recorded some music. That's uh, that, that's something that you've been involved in for quite a while, I think. Uh, after seeing the experiences which I've been undergoing in terms of issues of disability and also listening to different stories of persons with disabilities, I found myself being also music because it's also part of advocacy and also it's also part of making the voice of persons with disabilities be heard. And uh, it's, a, it's a journey by its own. I've done uh, different songs, different experiences. In terms of uh, White King, I've, talked, I've done a video on usage of White King notes in Swahili. And uh, also some songs about not giving up, continuing with the, making people to push for their agenda. And uh, before I came to Australia, I ensured that uh, I've recorded a few new songs, which I have, they have not yet released. I'm looking forward to look for a person who can help me to develop some videos towards the thematic songs where I've done issues of uh, how children are hidden in houses in uh, my own country. And uh, also issues of uh, how 
people who are advocate sometimes we face challenges when we are trying to raise the voice all this I've done so that people can understand that it's a journey it does not just happen you have really to make those baby steps to ensure that your voice and rights are heard so in case someone would like to support to develop some videos around issues of disability or even help to market the agenda I'll be very glad Paul Mugambi who as we mentioned in that interview is a gifted musician so let's end with a track that he's recorded this has got some cool african rhythms and a great message it fits very well with the interview we've just heard it's called give me a chance we'll see you next week Soldier. 
Thanks for listening to The Blind Side, a production of Mosin Consulting. On the web at mosin.org.